Well, good morning again. This is uh, Wednesday, October 28th, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm batching it again here at home uh, while Kahori is up in Seattle. She's coming back later today. And uh, so thanks for letting me know that you can hear me. I appreciate that. And uh, we're off to another great day. Super cold outside. I love the crisp air of the, of the fall, and uh, we're getting some beautiful sunshine along with it as well. Well, today I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and <clears throat> one of the most famous stories of the Bible, of course, is David and Goliath. And uh, I just have some great thoughts, I think, today from this story. Uh, I'm going to do it in two parts, actually, today and tomorrow, and really looking forward to it. You know, normally we go to this story and, and we talk about fighting our giants in life, right? That's usually the, that's kind of the main application that we get from this great and awesome, memorable story of David versus Goliath. Uh, have faith in God to fight your giants, whatever they are in your life. Um, and uh, I read this story again and again in preparation. And I'm thinking, of course, of my overall theme, which is looking for where and how God shows up in these stories to give people strength. And one of the things that I noticed as I read this story is how absent God is, uh, how He doesn't show up in so many ways. And so I've called the devotion this morning, David and Goliath, or David versus Goliath, What God Doesn't Do. And I'll give you the first part today and the second part tomorrow. But what I'm, what I'm seeing as I read it is that um, he doesn't show up visibly at all in this story. Uh, he doesn't promise King Saul victory against the Philistines. Uh, he, uh, he doesn't give King Saul or the soldiers any instruction about the battle against the Philistines or what might be an impending battle here. Uh, and he doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any encouragement uh, of the soldiers or of King Saul, you know, kind of, I'll be with you, kind of the Joshua 1-9 kind, of, um, uh, kind of affirmation. And, and everyone in the story is absolutely scared to death, right? That's, that, those are the kind of things I'm noticing as I read this story. So let me start off and show you the first three verses I'll start with. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So they're they're taking their sides. They're lining up on either side, and they're, they're ready to do battle. Now, it could be um, that God doesn't show up, and I think it is, in kind of some of the typical ways that we would imagine, because no one's asking him to. Um, King Saul's not praying. He's not seeking God. He's not asking for instruction. In fact, uh, he's really at odds with God right now, as you recall from my last two lessons. <clears throat> the soldiers aren't crying out to God, right? No one, uh, no one is, uh, is 
coming to God and beseeching God and asking God for any kind of help. Verse 4, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves. I had to look up the word greaves. I didn't know what the word greaves meant. It's that part of the armor that covers your shin. So he had those two. He has all this armor on. Verse 6, on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of of Saul? In other words, we're so much more powerful than you. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Terrified. (laughs) Right? They're scared. Everyone is scared to death. Why? Well, the human side of it, of course, is that Goliath is a giant, right? He's huge. He's over nine feet tall. He has all his armor on. He's, he's, the, he's the greatest warrior that they've ever seen. But really, the other answer is they're scared because no one is walking by faith, right? Um, everyone's depending on the strength of man, upon what they can see with their eyes, uh, what they can feel with their hands, what their human experience has been. But also notice, um, once again, that, God, that, that God's not doing anything about it. They're all scared, right? They're all petrified of this Philistine army and of Goliath in particular. But God doesn't jump in and kind of save the day for them. He doesn't come in and encourage them and affirm them and, why is that? Well, I think sometimes God just waits to be wanted, and He's not wanted here. No one's asking for His involvement, and so He's just fine, allowing them to flounder around in their own sinfulness. I think that happens. I truly do. I think it's a biblical principle that God allows us to feel the pain of our own sinfulness when we don't call out to Him and don't ask for His help. Apparently, these soldiers hadn't gotten to the bottom of their, of their bucket enough to really feel the pain. And yeah, they're scared and, and, and yeah, they're petrified, but for some reason, they're not at their wit's end quite yet. And so they haven't truly called out to God. Now, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine, Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, 
Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring, bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So what I want you to see here is that even Jesse, right, the father of these three men who are at battle and the father of David, even he's scared. He's really worried about his sons. And what's interesting, again, is that while all of these people are scared, including Jesse now, as we see, again, no one's asking God for any help. No one's praying to God. Everyone's worried and scared, but no one's seeking God. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Great fear. Once again, great fear. Everyone's, everyone's fearful. Everyone's scared to death. No one knows what to do, but no one is asking God for help. Again, you keep reading through the story. You keep hoping and looking that they're going to turn their hearts towards God. And I mean, they're God's people, right? This is Israel. This is the people of God, Yahweh. They should be taking every step uh, in the sight of God. They should be praying every moment, right, uh, in the fear of God. And yet here they are in, in their worst moment and not doing a thing about it, not calling upon God. Well, carry on. Let's look at verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. The focus is still on the human. On They're scared of the, they're scared of Goliath, and, uh, and they're still talking about how they, can, how they can muster the strength. Which man? Who's going to be the strongest, right? Whoever's the strongest and can kill the Philistine will be given the, the king's daughter in marriage, etc. It's all a focus on man's strength, man's ability, man's rewards. There's no God. <laughs> There's no God involved in the conversation whatsoever, but now. Watch how the conversation shifts. Watch how the focus shifts when David comes into it. Verse 26. David asked the men standing next to him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There it is. The first statement in this whole story that has anything to do with God. Here it is, and it's from David. He says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
First of all, he calls him the uncircumcised Philistine. Why? Because circumcision, of course, was the mark for an Israelite of faith in God. Not just inclusion in the people of God. Of course it was that. But deeper, deeper than that spiritually. Circumcision was, um, was a mark of faith, right? A, a mark that you followed God, that God was your champion. And so he's saying, by calling Goliath the uncircumcised Philistine, he's saying, look, folks, he doesn't have God. <laughs> and he's coming up to defy, what does he say? The armies of the living God. You see, David's changing the focus here. He's totally shifting the attention of the battle from human strength to divine strength. Oh, this is powerful. This is so, it's such a breath of fresh air in the story that finally there's some talk of God. There's some reaching out to God. And, and now you see this man who walks by faith, right? And he's the smallest guy in the, out there in the field, right? But he's walking by faith in the strength of God. And he's just declared that that Philistine is defying, is defying us. And here's what we are. We are the armies of the living God. And that's where our power is. Our power is in God. I'll finish my first part of the story, two more verses, and, and then we're going to stop reading this story for this morning. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. This is David's oldest brother mocking him, right? <laughs> Belittling David. But look at David's response. Verse 29. Now, what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and... The men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. In other words, he ignored his brothers because his brothers were just mocking him and belittling him, and he continued to have the conversation that he had started uh, in which he was impressing upon everyone around him the power of God. Uh, what we're seeing here is David bringing a whole new perspective to the situation, God's perspective, and in that sense... God shows up, you see. Now, he hadn't been invited into the, into the battle, into the conversation at all, into the situation, until David showed up. And David is being now the great leader, right from the start, even as a young man, he's being the great leader that God knew that he would be by, by bringing God's presence into the world. So what I want you to see, what I want you to see in this story is um, not just the typical application and storyline, which is go fight your giants, right? But rather what I want you to see is that, uh, that David brings God into the world through his faith. He, he brings God's presence into the situation through his faith. David loved God. His, his heart was sold out to God. When everything else around him was, was, was going awry, when everything else around him was, was human-focused. And I think of that right now. Everything around us right now, it's all about the human uh, focus, the humanity, the, the uh, politics, and, 
and the fighting and the rioting and it it's it's all about uh, the tit for tat and who's bringing God into the who's bringing God into our world who's bringing God into our country because ultimately the solutions aren't red or blue they're really not um, ultimately the solutions are moral and spiritual and God is showing us the way God has the answer the answer doesn't come the answer doesn't come uh, politically the answer comes spiritually always and here you see it here's a here's a, a shining example of how the answers come when God finally arrives into the situation and people men and women walk by faith how are you how are you inviting God into your heart and how are you inviting God into the situation be known as a person who invites God into into this world into the situations of this world don't first and foremost be known as a person who's trying to solve something politically. Be known as a person who's inviting God to bring His great and mighty solutions. He has the power, my friends. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I want to be, we want to be people who um, bring Your presence into the conversation and Your presence into the situation each and every day, Lord. We do pray for our country. We do pray for our world. And uh, Lord, but mostly we pray that you would be there, that, that, that you would show up because we've invited you to come. And so God, help us to be those people that invite you to come today. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Well, I love all of you and uh, have a great day this Wednesday. It's a beautiful day. God's given it to us. And may you invite God more and more into it because of these words. Talk to you later.